Stevenson to the outside, they score! From the left wing circle, Jack Eichel makes it 2-0 Vegas. Because one hour isn't enough, we welcome you back for hour number two of the Vegas Golden Knights Insider Show. Carlson for Stone in front, he scores! Five two nights, Mark Stone, two goals, one assist, three points. From the Finley Chevrolet Fox Sports Las Vegas studios and live at lbsportsnetwork.com with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace. Get into a little more detail, this series between the Vegas Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. A jam-packed opening hour, a conversation with John Shannon, former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada. And then Lauren Brassois joined us the day before the second round series drops the puck over at the Fortress. 6.30 start tomorrow for mm-hmm. game number one. Keep that in mind. A couple of things to pay attention to. Uh, obviously, with the construction and the Tropicana situation, and Frank Sinatra, go early, stay late. Uh, that's an opportunity for you to uh, really enjoy the atmosphere. 6.30, though, is puck drop uh, just around that uh, area, so a little bit no earlier than normal. And the other part is Game 2, originally scheduled for Friday mm-hmm. at the Fortress, has now been switched to Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock at T-Mobile Arena. So there will be two days between games 1 and 2. That was a change that came midday today. It sure did. Um, I, although I will say it is good to have a full series schedule uh, to, to kind of refer back to. But yeah, it's going to be interesting for the Golden Knights. You get game 1 out of the way tomorrow, and then you've got a couple of extra days rest before you go back at it again Saturday afternoon. So Edmonton played L.A. in mm-hmm. the first round. Mm-hmm. They won that series in six games. They did. And was that Saturday was was the game? It it was. It, it was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. they stayed in L.A. Mm-hmm. and came to Vegas today mm-hmm. and then will be in Vegas through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Sunday, mm-hmm. because sometimes seemed like Vegas in Winnipeg stayed the extra day and flew on the off day between games sure. instead of leaving right after the game. So it's it's like this longest road trip ever for for Edmonton, uh, because instead of going home after the series, yeah, they just stayed in L.A. and and enjoyed some some sun and uh, a little bit of downtime and a couple of practices. Yeah, real rough to have to be stuck in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and then you move to Vegas for uh, for the next leg of your work trip. Yeah, it's do, rough. do you remember you guys were looking at that video of Connor McDavid in practice where he was <clears throat> straining a little bit? And I said, don't worry about it. Like, he, there's no way he would be on the ice. And it's exactly true. Mm-hmm. I think there was some fun being had at the media's expense. From Connor? Yeah. Oh, okay. That just a, Just a little bit of... Like Knowing that all eyes are on him, maybe he's got a eyes in grimace. the back of his head. He knows that what? the cameras what? are on him. Well, he knows moment? the cameras are on him well, at sure. all times. Well, sure, but at that moment Canadian, specifically, can, right. if he's on the ice, there's a Canadian camera on him. At this, he will not be. Oh, that's rough. Uh, out of camera view. How did you deal with that? Uh, you just get used to it after yeah. a while. Yeah. But I'm, that's why I think he might have been having some fun with people with the odd grimace. The no. guy doesn't smile. What makes you think he's having fun? <laughs> Just because you don't smile doesn't mean you can't have some kind of mischievous 
No, no. That that guy that guy won't have fun until he's until he wins a is, cup. Is Connor a prankster? I, I don't I don't view Connor McDavid as yeah, a prankster. I don't I don't get Con- that vibe. I've been around Connor quite a bit from his draft I, year. I, I, I'm legitimately asking. Yeah, no, no, I've been I'm telling you, I, I've been around him a lot. Mm-hmm. From junior through into his national hockey league. I've interviewed him handfuls of times. Mm-hmm. Uh one on ones and He's not a guy that lets his guard down. Like what you see in a lot of this mm-hmm. is the way Connor does carry himself. Now, there has been occasions where you do get a peek behind the curtain, mm-hmm. and he's great. Mm-hmm. He's fun, but he's very, very protective of what the public will see. And it's he's one of the only players, and this is he's he's much better, way more uh of Involved in conversations, interviews now, mm-hmm. than, than he was. I talked to him one on one year two, mm-hmm. uh, year two or three, and I got for a five minute interview. I had twenty five questions, Oof. twenty twenty five questions. Like there's there's a lot of fall. You you got to do a lot of fall. Way better now. Yeah. Way more casual. Yeah. Growing into himself. He's still a young guy, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I think that uh, like the. Personality wise, like Jack gives you a lot, mm-hmm. a lot more than, than than Connor does. There is stuff there. He just is so uh, protective. He he's been he's been the superstar of superstars since he was twelve years old, like, and in in Hockey Mad Canada, mm-hmm. uh, Curtis Joseph, I believe, was his coach, or Curtis Joseph, his son, played in the same years as, as Connor McDavid, uh, and and Curtis like said when he was twelve years old said. That guy's going to play in the National Hockey League. Mm. Looked at somebody, told Connor Ted, "That guy, your son's going to play in the in the National Hockey League. He, he's been, he's been that good." Uh, I do appreciate some a little uh, a little more personality coming out of him. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm like Wayne was never big on it. Yeah, Wayne's well, still not big on it, and well, he's on TV. Well, like is is Connor similar to to Sid in that regard? In that like there's there's maybe more when when you're yeah. in the middle yeah. of certain things happening in the background, you start to pick up on different aspects of the personality. I, I think I think Sid had more at yeah. a younger age. Yeah, okay. Uh, but Connor is molded in Sid. Yeah. Like, like replicated down to the, the finite detail mm-hmm. as far as making sure that not, like nothing's going to get out there. And uh, it's it, it's very seldom uh, that, that you will see that uh, that personality. But but he has some fun. Uh, he's got a great house. He's got some cool things going on in his mm. life. Uh, dogs like he loves his dogs. Yeah. Uh, if he if he comes on here, just like Bogey and and, and Stella, uh, we'd have a conversation with uh, Bogey uh, Brassois and Stella Brassois. Uh, we'd we'd have that conversation uh, today. The the Vegas Golden Knights had their last full practice mm-hmm. before game number one tomorrow. And it was uh, they they did some some detailed work uh, out there. Uh, last chance to really dive into uh, the on ice part of some adjustments or approaches that they want to take. I think you know for the Golden Knights, you you get into a situation where I, I think against Edmonton, details are going to be important. They're going to be huge, and and we've you know we've kind of had the conversation all season long about growing into your game getting better and as good as the Golden Knights were in the first round, they're going to have to be even better now in round number two against Edmonton. 
Fun stuff uh, for both sides coming into it. Uh, the uh, just contradictions of this series are fascinating. Uh, Mark Stone left practice early. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a topic of conversation. We'll actually lead it off, the uh, discussion with Bruce Cassidy and his media availability regarding Mark Stone's status and then get into some of the uh, different layers of this series. Ben Goetz, Las Vegas Street Journal. Uh, Bruce, we didn't see Mark at the end of practice. Was that just precautionary, or was there anything? Yeah, going? he left a few minutes early, so um, assume everything's good. I haven't heard any differently. Linda Cody, SPN, Bruce. Uh, the PK, obviously, uh, something you want to uh, improve on heading into tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, we've been working on that all year. You know, we're we're fortunate on the one hand. You know, we're a very disciplined team, right? We took the least amount of penalties all year, including playoffs. So that's the good news going into a playing against a, a power plays like Edmonton's that's really rolling and has been since about October 1st. So, um, you know, there's certain things we'd like to take away, but they're very good. So we're going to try to drill down on those, you know, try to make them take the shot we want them to take as opposed to the one they want. But every team tries that with them. I mean, they've got elite players on that unit. So that's going to be the challenge. Less time in our zone could be a way to do that. You know, that's face-offs, clears. That's being good on entries, making them really work to get in. And as I said, we'll have to continue to be disciplined as well, um, not, you know, take any unnecessary penalties. Um, after that, it's goaltender makes a big difference on it as well. If he makes timely saves, that can make your PK look better. So... So we're looking at it. What should scare them about you guys? I'd like to say everything, but um, um, well, I like I love our depth from player uh, forward one through twelve and D one through six. I think they can match up against anybody, um, and we use them accordingly. Uh, we're predominantly healthy. Knock on wood on that. Uh, we had guys come back into the play for us as opposed to leave for the most part there's a couple of d at the end nab skated today looks good theo was sick he's feeling a lot better carriers back in um, as we saw with mark stone he got better with more reps and i would think the same will happen with will um, so yeah and I, I think we have an ability to win games uh, different ways so you can't just say i'm going to take this player you know out of the equation or neutralize him i think we have different and we've shown that all year. Uh, so that, those are the things I like about our team and what that does to Edmonton, I guess they could answer that. <clears throat> then goes Las Vegas Street Journal. Bruce, the forecheck was such a big part of your success in Series 1. Um, how much is that going to be an emphasis again this series, playing behind them and playing you know, well, that'll below be the that, right? It's, it's With Edmonton, it's puck management. Uh, they're going to generate offense even when you do manage the puck. Power play will be one area, obviously, and just in general, they got some good players that make plays and pace, skill. So for us, if we can force them to go 200 feet, that's step one. If we can wear down their D where they're not part of the offense, so now you're just dealing with the forward group. I thought we did a really good job. of when That was one of the big differences with Winnipeg. Their D did not get involved as they had been in the season. Now, some of that was Morrissey's injury, but at the end of the day, I thought we neutralized some of that second wave of attack. Um, and then if that happens and they get, fr- you know, frustration may build in if we're doing it effectively. And sometimes when you have skilled guys that get frustrated, they force plays, and now we can counter that. So that's kind of how we'd like to approach it. I think L.A. did a good job with it early on, and then eventually LA or Edmonton found their game. And uh, we'd like to 
be able to do it from day one. We didn't against Winnipeg. We did not do it in game one. We paid the price and then we got to our game after that. So that's the next challenge is understanding tomorrow night at 6.50 or whatever time the pucks drop and we need to be on board with that. Jesse Granger with The Athletic. To kind of go along with that, um, Winnipeg's defense was on the smaller side and Edmonton's got a lot of guys that are 6'5", 6'6". Do you think that changes anything from maybe the challenges they pose? Yeah, they're longer. Um, they can protect pucks when you, if you, even if you put it in a good spot up against the boards, they may be able to protect it better because they're longer. Uh, sometimes they're not as quick as a small guy, so that can work against them as well as for them. So um, at the end of the day, they're, they're an effective group. We know which guys transport the puck more than others. Ekholm's very heavily involved in, all over the ice. Uh, Nurse is obviously going to skate it out. Um, and uh, at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter. In our mindset, should whoever's out there, it's going behind you. You're going to turn and go get it. Might not have an effect the first period, the second period, but maybe by the 15th period, whatever the case may be. There, you know, that's how you grind them down and, and and hopefully keep the puck out of their forwards' hands if we're effective at getting it back. The other thing for us is protecting the puck in the ozone. They play a little different than Winnipeg in their end, so if we can neutralize them that way and have good ozone possession time. Uh, the games we were good against them, we did that. The games, especially the one up here, we weren't very good in that area. So that's the other part of it. It's getting it in there and forechecking, but you got to get it back. Um, you're not always going to win the forecheck battle. You know, when you give it up, you want to get it back in their end. If not, you got to get it back in the neutral zone with good structure, or sometimes you got to go back to your own end and break it out. So, but we've got to, you know, get a few of those pucks back that, you know, to get it truly effective. Do you take more from what you saw in the last series against LA with them, or do you look more at the games that you guys played against? Well, we had some recent games, so I do look at those. But the last time up there, you know, we were short some manpower too that will impact the game. So uh, I look at, think about more of what we did. I think LA, well, I know LA plays a different system than us, but you still have to take some of the, you know, uh, some of what they did well is they, you know, if you looked early on, their offense came from reloads, they got over top of Edmonton and, and then right back to the attack and we're able to win some net front battles and some score some goals that way. Uh, I thought their power play was good. Um, you know, I, I think we'll end up being a more physical team than what they saw against LA, um, but we'll see. And that, you know, that's how it played out against Winnipeg. Some of that was hit back, right? Winnipeg had a, a determined effort to be physical. I don't know if Edmonton, that'll be their game plan. But at the end of the day, that's an area that we've got to continue to, to build on. I thought we did really well against Winnipeg. Bruce, Sean, Sean Rourke here from NHL.com. You coached a fair amount against Brett Howden back when he was with the Rangers. How is he a different player now? And has his, I guess this is part of it, has his willingness to be engaged physically changed dramatically from when you coached against him? You know, I don't want to speak out of turn about when he was with New York, to be honest with you. So I'll talk about how he is now and what I've seen, even from September to now, he's a much more physical, uh, confrontational player on the forecheck, which has really helped that line. Uh, I think at the start of the year, he made some plays off the wall, had some looks from the slot. That's where he got a lot of his looks, and that's what he's doing for us. He's not a guy that's going to go dangle you one-on-one -on -one and in space, and he's more of a straight line, get to the interior ice. He's done that well for us. I don't know, like way back then, sometimes my experience with guys like Howie, they're high picks, they scored in junior, they get to the NHL, it's like, wait a minute, it's not happening for me like it did in junior, so what do I got to change? And that sometimes is a process, and that's what he's done well here. He's probably a more direct player, I'm guessing, than he was in New York. 
I see that with Michael Amadio from the start of the year, who was a good scorer in junior, has to be a little more net front, interior, greasy than probably he was in junior. So that would be my guess with, with Howie. Um, and it's worked for him here so far. And uh, quickly, I'm going to follow up with a more philosophy question, I guess. As you try and break down a team, you obviously these days you use a ton of video, but does it almost become too much? Like when, when you're trying to explain to your team, is there a fine line to walk between systems and letting them play? Like uh, Absolutely. Like we're, we're going through areas of the ice the, the last two days, but it's as general. How does it, you know, how does it translate to how we want to play against them? So a lot of it is the clips from Edmonton earlier this year, more so than LA, because just because players also like to see themselves. You know what I mean? When they see themselves on video, they they pay more attention because you know that's just the way it is. Um, we always have tons of information. I think over the years, I've gradually given the players less and less. I just think it works better. And then once they get into the heat of the battle, then they, then it's like, okay, here's what we were talking about. And then they see it. They get it. I mean, they play against a lot of different teams. They're not information-driven like coaches are. They just want to play and be able to play and put in a position to have success, play to their strengths. And so that's always the balance, right? Okay, this might not be your – like, we're, we're a good rush team, but we really had to buy into four-check against Winnipeg. And eventually we got to it, so they did. And they still got the, some rush chances. So that's the – or what we're trying to go. And video doesn't always back that up. That's just a mindset. So to answer your question, there's a lot of information out there. And I think that's one of the challenges going into the playoffs. How much do you want to give them? Because as a coach, you're always like, well, I don't want any surprises, right? Well, now you're piling on and piling on. So I don't think players want that either. You know, and typically there isn't a lot of surprises. It's their strength against our strength. May the best team win. Especially in a series like this, where you faced Edmonton and a home and home down the stretch, mm-hmm. you're familiar with them. Uh, I know that Vegas players watch Edmonton, uh, vice versa, because they're entertaining games to watch. So you're a little bit more familiar with that. It gets to be a lot different when you reach a final and you've only faced that team twice all year mm-hmm. and maybe once in the last six months. Right. Very different as far as uh, the amount of information uh, that is added on to the player's plate uh, beyond just going out and doing your job and, and being an athlete. So uh, this uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, recency uh, experience in what Vegas and Edmonton have done. That last game that uh, that they played at T-Mobile Arena was one that was dominated by the Oilers mm-hmm. on, on the power play. That's not a bad thing to have in the back of your head if you're Vegas. To no. be quite honest, at the time, not great. Mm-hmm. But knowing what can happen if you're not dialed in in taking as few penalties as possible, mm-hmm. and that was more than the norm against Edmonton, and defending that power play, it's, it's a good thing to remind you and motivate you to play in the right way. You've got that at your disposal for, for buy-in, and, and I think that you're, you're right on the money there in that you – you have that in the back of your mind. You know what can happen if you let things get away from you in terms of taking too many penalties. You, you, you've, you've got the tape on that. And I think for the Golden Knights, um, the expectation is that you, you, you don't want that to rear its head in a playoff series. You don't want that to be uh, something that gets away from you early on or puts you behind the eight ball. So I, I'm expecting, you know, again, it's, it's going to be impossible not to take penalties. 
but you're going to have to find a way to to limit the amount of times you send the Oilers on the power play. And and that Edmonton man advantage is mm-hmm. going to win them a game. Probably. Yeah. It, it will. Yeah. The, um, unless the uh, unthinkable happens and you run right through them. But given how balanced they are, I expect it to be a really good back-and-forth uh, series, mm-hmm. a series of mm-hmm. adjustments. So Bressois is, is a great example of that uh, stoic stoicism and being able to just... Uh, respond to the next challenge and instead of what's happening in the first period to the second period, not letting it carry over to the third period or game two or three or four. Uh, you're going to have to live with that power play as good as it has been this year. And then adding on to the playoffs, it's going to have an impact in the series. Don't let it become the story of the series, which will be a challenge. Well, there's something to be said for it being an impact in a game, but you can't allow it to be an impact for three or four wins, right? Like that's yeah. that's really the thing that the Golden Knights are going to have to do. And I thought that was really the the telling aspect of of kind of Laurent Brossois and his his mindset going into it. Like you, you accept that there are going to be goals. You accept that this is probably going to be, in terms of playoff hockey, a higher scoring series than you're used to. But it doesn't mean that the game's over if you give up a goal. It doesn't mean the game's over if you're down 2 nothing or 3 nothing, whatever it is. This is going to be a high-scoring series, and the Golden Knights are going to get their chances to find a way to crack that armor of the Edmonton Oilers, too. Uh, Stuart Skinner's going to have to go through the same thing. Uh, uh-huh. yeah. There's going to be goal scored. This is, a, is actually something that started two, two-and-a-half years ago hmm. where goalie coaches and sports psychologists started working with netminders in a very different fashion mm-hmm. because offense started to creep up. And goalies who'd come through minor hockey, junior, and, and professional had never been exposed to that, where if you gave up more than two goals, that was a bad night, mm-hmm. and you were going to be criticized and you were going to question yourself. Well, that's very different now, and and coaches and the mind part of it uh, really got ahead of this uh, with with their athletes uh, going back COVID mid uh, early part of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's when it uh, we saw that that developing, and they'll lean on that in this. Both goaltenders, both goalie coaches uh, will will certainly lean on that. Where this it might be the ultimate '80s Oilers. Type game <laughs> where all it because the eighties Oilers Grant Fear win seven six mm-hmm. just don't let in the the last one. Mm-hmm. Both sides will be clean to that where it doesn't it truly doesn't matter defensively the numbers. Would you like to limit them? Yes. Would you like to have a a, a beautifully kept five two game? Mm-hmm. Yes. But if John Shannon said eight. Eight goals a game, average. I, I think it's I think it's eight goals a game too. By by the time we're done with this thing, and that means a really short memory for both goaltenders or multiple goaltenders in uh-huh. this series, if it case uh, goes to that. And Bressois, while it's his first go around in this, he's thirty. You, you you heard how much he's grown. If you missed uh, Lauren Bressois, join us in the first hour. The podcast uh, be available. He's. He handles this a lot differently than he would have six years ago. Stuart Skinner is the six years ago mm-hmm. guy. And and to Stuart Skinner's credit, right, he, he did get pulled in game number four against the Los Angeles Kings after allowing three goals in the first period. 
Jay Woodcroft goes right back to him for Game 5 and Game 6. There were some moments in in those games, specifically Game 6, where his his stick breaks and the Kings end up... (laughs) Beautiful. John Shannon Um, Shannon just sent me that. That's amazing. And and the the Kings end up scoring a goal to tie the game. It, It looks like it could get away, and Stuart Skinner mentally was right in it. He let it go. He was able to kind of live in that moment. Now The broken stick one? Yeah, exactly. They didn't they didn't put him in a position to have to. They didn't give up any shots. Fine. That okay. That that's perfectly fine. They they, t- they took him the, off the hook there. The that re- was a re- that was a great response from by the, the team, Oilers from yeah. the team and picking up their goaltender. And and to be fair, the response from Stuart Skinner, Game Five, Game Six, after being pulled, I, I thought that he was very good in those games. All that to say, it'll be really interesting to see how things progress as the series wears on with the goaltenders because I do believe the ability to just turn the page after a goal, after a game, all of it's going to be so important in in, in who wins this series. And I, I look at it as advantage Loren Brossois, advantage the Vegas Golden Knights, because like you said, he's been around, he's older, he's working on this aspect of the game. And when you have that calming presence, here's that zen in the moment, I think it bodes well here. One observation with Lauren, big opportunity. Mm-hmm. Unrestricted free agent. Mm-hmm. This run can go a long way to your future in the National Hockey League. Long-term contract, uh, Vegas, elsewhere, whatever. But the, but he's playing for his future as much as he is playing for a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you he's not thinking about his future, but they go hand in hand. Sure. So his success is the Golden Knights' success, and then down the road, he can capitalize on that success. The power play of Edmonton is and should be getting huge attention. But Vegas can flip that and make it about Stuart Skinner mm-hmm. with a great opening game tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. If they put pressure on the Edmonton Oilers, who could flip goaltenders throughout the series, it could happen. I, I quite frankly, with the with eight goals being predicted per game by by this panel, I wouldn't be surprised at all that we saw Jack Campbell in for a game or a start. You can make the storyline a whole lot different. Power play will always be there, and whenever it happens, it, people are going to be on their feet wondering what's going to happen, what's going to take place, and how, how Vegas is going to defend it. Mm. But flip the script, score the goals, make make Edmonton answer the questions about keeping the puck out of their net. The chances are going to be there. And that's really what it boils down to for me. I think for the Golden Knights, you're going to have plenty of opportunities to put the puck in the back of the net. You have to bury them. And I think for the Golden Knights, they did a really good job of that in the first round. They they had opportunities. They scored goals in, in a lot of different ways. You're, you're going to have to find that here against the Oilers too. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Mark Stone, Riley Smith, a lot of uh, high-profile players uh, mm-hmm. going out at this series. Jack Eichel might be the guy who has the biggest opportunity mm-hmm. to change things and make a statement. It's Eichel on the offensive in this series against Connor McDavid. McDavid, he wins. He's supposed to. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to put up points. Jack Eichel, his first go-around, now he's going against Connor McDavid. That is an amazing, positive opportunity to make a statement. 
with the entire hockey world watching, just like we are with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. Later tonight, Seattle up against the Dallas Stars. We've got the one-timer segment, uh, news notes from around the National Hockey League, coming up, brought to you by Paul Paddle Law. We'll be back with more on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Carlson left corner, centered, one-timer, score! It's time for one-timers. one-timers. A quick look at news and notes from around the National Hockey League. Brought to you by Paul Law. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. Round two is underway. Uh, second period action between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers. And it's the upstart Panthers who knocked off the... Best regular season team ever in the Boston Bruins in Game 7. The Florida Panthers have a 2-1 lead over the Toronto Maple Leafs at home. Uh, That place will be buzzing. That'd be a tough game for uh, the Toronto guys, to be quite honest. The way the city's been just bouncing uh, around. Uh, Florida had a 2-0 lead, and then it was the Toronto Maple Leafs that replied shortly after the 2-zip goal uh, to bring it into a one-goal game. Does this game matter? Yes. But here's a weird stat. Hmm. Teams that won game one in the first round, mm-hmm. there's eight game ones. They ended up going two and six right. in the series. That's crazy. It is. That, that game one meant that little. Mm-hmm. And part of that was, was Vegas, who dropped game one, ended up winning the series. So... You'd think that there'd be a, a whole lot more to it mm-hmm. as an influence, but game one was was against the grain as far as who won it to who was going to advance. It's almost like one game is just that, one game. Uh, a, whether or not you win game one, lose game one, um, you you have runway. It's it's a race to four. And, well, I think and it's getting comfortable, too, in the environment. There, like You saw that in certainly in Vegas do you, with all the people that came back in the lineup. Do you expect it to be different in round two? Yeah. In that you've got teams that have been through kind of the craziness uh, and the, the hyperactivity that usually goes into starting the playoffs, round one, first couple of games. They can be a bit random at times. Do you expect that, to, that trend to change as we uh. go deeper? Series specific mm. to be uh, like Toronto now has tied this this game against the Florida Panthers at two. Wow, uh, they, they've never been to this stage before. Uh, this core group of players, there there's some that that have certainly been through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's as influential with Toronto, a uh, Seattle. Uh, I don't think it's as influential. I wouldn't be surprised with a stumble on on that side of it. Yeah, uh, I. Edmonton, Vegas, two more veteran teams that uh, I I think that uh, that what you see in game number one will probably be a lot of what you're going to get uh, through the course of the series. I'd agree with that. I, I don't know that I'm expecting some crazy change in terms of what the, those numbers look like. I, I think that we're in for some really entertaining and, and close series here in round number two. Look, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Toronto, Seattle. Yeah. yeah. This is foreign. <laughs> it is. And, you know, like, it's interesting because I, I kind of talked about it at the beginning uh, of the playoffs with the New Jersey Devils specifically. Like, you don't know what you don't know, but just go out there and play, right? Like, go trust your game. You've you've done really well this year playing your game. And, you know, for the, for the Devils, they, they first couple of games against the Rangers looked like they were out of place, looked like they were overthinking things. And then they they had a a, a shift, and they were able to take it to the Rangers. Uh, I like the ability of 
Florida, whether they let this 2 nothing lead get away from them, uh, they'll be okay. Uh, Paul Maurice and company slaying the dragon of the uh, the Boston Bruins was really uh, impressive. Now, Seattle, we'll see what they can follow up uh, with against the, the Dallas Stars. Joe Pavelski, mm-hmm. game-time decision. Uh, I, have you seen whether he's actually in or not? I Took I've, a morning skate today. I've not seen it yet. Uh, we're still a little ways away on, on that game starting, so... Um, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, if he is able to go, number one, that's that's obviously great for Joe Pavelski. It's good when he's in the lineup. Um, I, I, I love the way that Pavelski plays. And, you know, the, the thought that I have on this series is an interesting one in that Jake Ottinger, in my estimation, is the best goaltender left in the playoffs. I just, I believe that. He's so good. He got better as the series went along against the Minnesota Wild. And it's not that I don't believe in the Seattle Kraken. I had Seattle in my bracket upsetting the Colorado Avalanche. Um, I just don't think that they're going to be able to score enough on Jake Ottinger. Oh, they uh, they can score though, boy. Seattle, I, I know they like, can. Like Vegas, they just they're they're water bugs out there. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm amazed at how fast the the Seattle Kraken are when they've got some rest. What's the carryover from going seven mm-hmm. in their series? Do they have enough? No, they're saying all the right things. Yeah, they're all the right things when it comes to being uh, in the in the moment and and feeling good about themselves. We'll see what happens in game number one tonight. Uh, We've got uh, the schedule change for Vegas. Mm -hmm. Again, it was announced that Vegas and Edmonton would go Wednesday and Friday in games one and two, and then we were waiting for the rest of the series to be announced. Well, there's been a major tweak to the set. They'll go tomorrow night, 6.30, at T-Mobile Arena for game one between the Oilers and the Golden Knights. And now there's two games or two days between games one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll go Saturday afternoon, uh, 4 o'clock start at T-Mobile, and then head up to Edmonton for Monday and Wednesday for three and four. So a switch in that very unusual that mm-hmm. this happened. John Shannon explained that there was a concert in Seattle on Saturday night, and then coupled with having to move that to different uh, TV obligations and requirements that have to be met, You've got uh, you've got a change being made uh, to the Golden Knights Edmonton on their schedule. Yeah, and the, I guess the good thing really is you look at it, you get a little bit of early rest. Like that's fine, you know, for the Golden Knights. Um, I, I think you just want to play and play and play, but it's not to be the case for Vegas early on. However, once you get beyond game number two, it's every other day. You don't have that pocket at the end of the series after game five, but for before six and seven where you have an extra day off. So I think that you can really get into the swing of this series. And, you know, for the Golden Knights and and really for the Edmonton Oilers, you got to take advantage of the extra day that you get between game one and two. Well, it probably means more to Edmonton. I, Although, I, because of the, the minutes that they put on dry sure, saddle and McDavid. Yep. But early in a series, it's going to be negligible. Sure. As far as the impact, uh, are you going to play or more or less? Because he's got two games. Maybe if you're chasing the game a lot, mm-hmm. you won't have any uh, hesitation towards doing that. But early on in the series, it shouldn't be uh, that that much. This series probably gets going Monday in Edmonton after you get the game three and after one travel day and, and going about it. There, there was some talk, by the way, that uh, Edmonton and Vegas wouldn't play at all on, on the weekend. That it would be Wednesday, Friday, and then Monday, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't 
crazy about that. Like a weekend <laughs> yeah, without right? any hockey and the well, team's still going. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, glad that they, they went down this, uh, this path. Road teams had a historic first round. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that aspect continues too as teams find uh, a bit of a rhythm in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They're all playing good on the road. Sure. Well, I, I think that's that's just kind of the sign of a good hockey team, right? Like you, you kind of get into the deep in, into the weeds here, and you've got teams that are comfortable in any situation. And to be fair, like I, I think road teams really love the idea of going into a building, games one and two, and finding a way to shut the crowd crowd up, finding a way to to put the pressure on the home team by stealing one of those games. So, but that makes sense for eternity. I, I, so I don't know why it's more impactful this I, year. I and, think, and coaches, I've talked to two coaches mm-hmm. involved in other series mm-hmm. and a coach here. Nobody can figure it out. I, I just, I think teams are, are pretty even. Like, I, I don't know another way to put it. Like, you can, you can kind of hide behind parody, whatever you want to do, but I just think that, that there's not a lot that separates the teams that are remaining here. I, I really believe that. And you know, you, you kind of start to find something when you're on the road and you start feeling good about your game and you you feel like you maybe have a team that's a little bit tense or, or, or on the ropes and, and you're able to find a way to get it done. I Like, Matthew Kachuk relishes going into Toronto and, and becoming public enemy number one. And the best way that he can do that is by delivering a victory for the Florida Panthers. Like, he loves that. I it love, speaks I, to who honestly, he is as a player. He's one of my favorite guys just because yeah. he does that. Uh, Matthew and I had uh, an incredible conversation uh, earlier this year in the player media tour, and we were talking about that aspect of his of his style mm-hmm. and his game. And he tried to tell me that he doesn't chirp a lot, but the mouth guard is never in. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He's always chewing on it, so he is, he is beaking a little bit. Uh, the Selkie Award finalists have mm-hmm. been named. Mm-hmm. That's for best defensive forward in the National Hockey League with still some offensive output. Mm-hmm. So it's not just go out there and shut it down and that's all you do. You got to produce some points. Sure. Uh, too often I think it gets phrased in a way that the the player has no offensive talent. Right. right. That's true. And you look at the award winners over the yeah. years, uh, it certainly bodes well. Uh, but the finalists are uh, all from the Eastern Conference. Shock. Patrice Bergeron. Why, why are you shocked? I'm not shocked. I was being sarcastic. But uh, it, I wouldn't say that the East is more defensive than the. I think like it's just, it's it's I, just unique that there would be I, three I guys it, from from. I think from it's the East. a lot easier to watch those games. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, you think there's a bias because 100%. of that? Yeah, hundred percent. Nah, I'm I'm, as somebody that's lived out East, I think that that's an overplayed argument. Oh, I don't mind. I'll be overplayed. Like Andre Kopitar absolutely should be there. That's uh, and, and he has been. He should be there this year. That's you my can't, point. Like every year, uh, well, the the finalists: Patrice Bergeron, Nico Heischer, and Mitch Marner. Those are three really <sighs> yeah. good players. And, and I'm not like like the growth of Nico Heischer is incredible. And Mitch Marner, yes, Mitch Marner deserves to be there. He's not your traditional defensive forward, but yeah. he does a lot on no. the right side of the puck. And Bergeron is uh, the standard, and he might that might be. The, the guy that you go, okay, it's a charity, uh, a career accomplishment. Yeah, yeah. He was on the best regular season team ever. So, yeah, he fine. Just, he, he, fine. Hey, not just fine. It's, Listen, that's the way it goes. Well, no, I, I can I can say fine. Like, I, I, I don't believe that. Then give, give some relevancy no, and some yeah, I don't, feedback to I, it. I don't believe that you should just be giving out lifetime achievement awards. But he's not because, because of the best 
you could say that because of the lifetime achievement because he, he may retire, but then he went out and had the best regular season in NHL history with his hockey club. Well, his team had the best yeah. NHL well, regular season. And he's the captain of that. So I think there's I, a lot of relevance there with Listen, with, it, with when you when you have a, a forward as good as Mitch Marner that you're starting to think about using him as a defender in certain situations, like how could I argue with that? Defenseman, right? Uh, here's the Lady Bink finalist uh, for gentlemanly play. Manzi mm-hmm. Kopitar. So there you go. Hey, it's Andre uh, Kopitar. Jack Hughes from the New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. And Braden Point. Hmm. That's a good call with Braden Point. I've never thought of him in this category because he plays the game so hard. Right. But I'm blown away that he only had seven penalty minutes, including <laughs> one minor penalty. <laughs> one minor penalty, yeah. seven penalty minutes. So he had a fight and a minor penalty. Or, uh, or he had a five-minute major of, of some calling. Yeah. Now, Hughes <laughs> Hughes would be the first Devils player to ever win the award. Zach mm-hmm. Parise finished third. Mm-hmm. Uh, he led the Devils in ice time and was uh, incredible in the production year over year. And let's see. What, what did Kopitar have for penalty minutes? Led the team in the playoffs and he... He was a three-time finalist of the mm-hmm. Lady Bing Award. He's plus 20. Yeah. So you still got to play, huh. but you got to have uh, a few penalty minutes. Center took two minor penalties all season. Two minors. Two minors, yeah. and you play the game, and you're a power forward. Two minors, power forward, plus 20, but not a Selkie candidate. Can't be everything to everybody. Uh, you could be when you're he that pro- Probably will will uh, walk off with something, but point, like that's... <laughs> Personally, this is the most time I've ever spent on a Lady Bing yeah, nomination yeah. because I think it's a award that should be shelved. Uh, we could put other awards in. Best offensive defenseman, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, let's, let's like, go like, there. Like, like, 100%. Let's create other awards that yeah. are more impactful yeah. than gentlemanly play because you know I'm not a gentleman. Well, hold uh, on. And I'm, I'm not uh, for sportsmanship. Can, I'm a beaker and a nasty person can, with a temper. You said I would never, ever be in consideration for this y- award. You said that Braden Point had one minor penalty all year. Yeah, and seven, and penalty, seven minutes. penalty minutes. Yeah. I want Braden Point to win this. As much as I'm talking about Andre Kopitar right now, I want Braden Point to win it because, like, clearly the other five minutes are a, a major of Somebody, some kind. Or, a, or a fight. Yeah. So, like, I, well, I would love the gentlemanly play award to go to a guy that got in a fight. That'd be fantastic. Well, here's, so, man, we got to wrap this up. We got point with one minor. Yeah. Yeah. Jack Hughes uh, had three minors. Mm-hmm. And Anzi Kopitar had two. That's crazy. To me, and William Carlson should be somewhere I, in the mix of this I, every year, too. I, I agree with that. Um, but again, you know, it is what it is. That being said, I, I think Jack Hughes should win on Swagger alone. Yeah, just be able to do it. And and he, he also didn't call a penalty on the person that tripped him last night at the blue line. Mm. Woo, see that? Feet up uh, out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, those are your one-timers brought to you by Paul Paddle Law. We'll come back with catching up with Chapman after we open up the phone lines to 702-876-1340. We will give you a free sub from Porta Subs, and we will enter you into a draw to qualify for a couple of tickets to round two of the Golden Knights series against the Edmonton Oilers. Stay with us, but ring those phones, 702-876-1340. Be caller number nine. 
When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. Oh, Christopher. Hi, Darren. So you guys are talking about Braden Point, his five extra minutes. He did get into a fight on February 7th of 2023. He fought Michael Essimont of the San Jose Sharks. And I... Would not call it a fight. It was uh, well. I mean, it was it was a couple guys pulling shirts and stuff. But uh, hockey fights gave the fight to uh, Braden Point. The fans voted. Uh, second sure. place was a draw. It was close between sure. Point and the draw. But uh, yeah, it would be funny if if he got the uh, the, the the lady Bing after from, from getting a, into a fight from adversaries to uh, to teammates. Yeah, gotta yeah. love that. Well, that was like when Eric Halla and Tomas Tatar. Were teammates here in Vegas. They got into a fight when the Red Wings came to town. Mm-hmm. Ironically, both teammates with the New Jersey Devils and both scored last night. Gotta love that. Oh, I definitely. We got the Realm Report tomorrow, one o'clock. <laughs> what was that on the uh, VGK social you media awake, channels? Yeah, I uh, just uh, wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of that. Uh, uh-huh. We'll tee up the game uh, with all your VGK commentators be part of that and then we'll be on the vgk insider show at four o'clock game within the game florida not allowing canadians into their building you can't buy tickets you got to go do a roundabout thing that's kind of cool